There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Welcome to the show, Hi-Fi Radio. It's a show about money, and I promise we'll weave in some fidelity to make it that much more enjoyable. It is Saturday night. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening. We're going to talk about money and hopefully help you over time have more of it. Again, Jack and I, my partner, also portfolio manager, are slow, steady, eddy types. And, you know, it's it's that type of a um, degree of patience that I think certainly has been required in the energy patch, the worst performing sector in the TSX for well, a long time now. Uh, good golly, I remember oil being 150 a barrel, and recently they were giving it away. They're paying people to take it off the ships because they were busting at the seams with too much inventory. Um, also this week, very incredible to see Suncor, a, the only oil stock I own, uh, move 25%. My jaw dropped. Boy, when they turn, they turn. Uh, quite aggressively often. Uh, Rafi Tamazian, uh, a frequent guest on Hi-Fi Radio, uh, the best oil man in Canada. Uh, pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, Director and Senior Portfolio Manager with Canoe Financial. Rafi, how are you, sir? I'm good. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. So um, let's get caught up, Rafi. Uh, the oil was... Uh, in such supply that a lucky few were paid to take it off the ship and, and take it to market. <laughs> Since that point in time, oil obviously has had an incredible, well, off a low base, an incredible recovery. Now trading in around, what, 40-some-odd dollars for uh, NYMEX crude oil. Um, here with us, number one, the differentials in Canada, what Canadian producers are getting for oil. Two, you know, the supply-demand situation with oil, and three, um, probably most importantly, when am I going to get even on my Suncor trade? <laughs> yeah, all three good questions. Um, the, first, <laughs> the, the, the first one, let's see. So, you know, how what can we ex- expect for the price of oil? I think just ripping back quick to your um, your synopsis of what's happened, you know, that, that correction that happened in March where the price traded down, that was a blip. That was not something to really look at as uh, something to analyze the future with. That was a blip, an anomaly that had to do with a shutdown. The bottom line is the Saudi Arabia and OPEC were going to at some point have to get control of the oil, oil again. And the only way to do that was to kill the high-cost producer, which was the shale oil. That, that COVID shutdown did that. It created an effective flooding of the market, and the oil flooded the market temporarily, collapsed the price enough to completely collapse the shale production in North America. That is what Canadians want. Canadians want OPEC back in control of pricing, not the shale producer. And now shale is collapsed. It's down from 13.2 million to roughly 10.5 to 11 million barrels. We do not see any financial capability in the U.S. to rebuild that production without oil north of $55 a barrel. So we have a lot of um, hope really for oil to, uh, we think OPEC will ratchet prices back up 
to around the $50, $55 outlook next year. So think about next year, mid-year, the outlook for oil for the next 12 months, $50 to $55. And that'll be done by OPEC methodically increasing production at a controlled pace relative to demand growing. That's how it's going to happen. For the first time in a decade, OPEC is back in control of pricing and no longer are the hedgies and the and the um, uh, you know the, the 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 derivatives traders going to be controlling the price that you and I have chatted about on the story on the show. For, you know that's that's who we've been beholden to for the last seven eight years is these derivatives traders because they've had run the price of oil amok. Now with OPEC back in control, the derivatives trader won't be there as much. We're speaking with Rafi Tamazian. Um, he is the finest when it comes to oil and oil and gas stocks in Canada. If you care about oil, uh, turn up your radio. Rafi Tamazian is amazing when it comes to energy. Of course, he's the uh, director and senior portfolio manager with Canoe Financial. I have a lot of time and a lot of respect for Rafi's views on oil, and I always learn a whole lot when listening to Rafi speak. I'm certain you will as well. The show, of course, is Hi-Fi Radio. I am Wolfgang Klein. And by the way, if you have any questions for Jack or I, WolfgangKlein.com, your one-stop shopping for your financial needs. We can help you in so many different ways. Don't be shy. Give us a call. We're here for you. Uh, let's, let's, let's continue to speak, Rafi, around um, energy. Um, America was oil uh, independent. Um, shale, of course, you've just educated me, is, is, is gone by the wayside, costing them several million barrels per day. Is America still energy independent? Or are they now, once again, beholden to OPEC and uh, its other quote-unquote allies? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. Uh, there was this blip of independence where they were a net exporter. And we think that um, they could they could become a net exporter again. They are not right now, but they could become an exporter of oil again, uh, where it makes sense if they continue to grow out their infrastructure of gas, you mentioned it about, you said oil and gas earlier. The, you know, Canada is a gas-producing producing nation and a heavy oil-producing nation. We're not a light oil-producing nation, which the U.S. is. And the U.S. is also growing their natural gas usage. And as they grow their natural gas usage, they need less oil. And so you see that in the, the entire developed world, you're seeing that demand for oil is staying flat, but their demand for energy is not, and that is being offset by the amount of natural gas they're using. And that is even more bullish for Canada because, again, we're a heavy oil, low-declining production oil producer and a gas producer. And I think that this is the, the this next season, this cycle – is going to be very beneficial to the heavy oil producer because of all the appetite the refiners need for that production. And again, you're speaking now, of course, to my oil fans and my Suncor play, correct, Rafi? Uh, yeah, I've got I've got anxiety over Suncor a bit, um, but um, <clears throat> there is a there is a silver lining for them. Let's direct it that way right now. I mean, the bottom line is Suncor cut their dividend by sixty percent when CNRL didn't. Uh, CNQ did not. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they they both had the same amount of liquidity, but Suncor said, I'm going to take an extra amount back and I'm going to cut the dividend. That'll put about another $1.5 billion in my coffers for a rainy day, they said. 
Mm -hmm. Well, so they went from three years liquidity to four years liquidity. And I think the investment community today says, you know what? I'd rather you just give me that money for a rainy day, typically. And so that's why Suncor has underperformed CNRL for a period of time. Plus, the reason your stock was up so sharply on Monday was because there there's a negativity towards oil and integrated oil specifically. So the shorts were shorting aggressively. And what were they long? They were long the gas stocks. And so on Monday, what happened? The gas stocks didn't move because they were getting sold down and the shorts were having to cover and Suncor was being basically covered. And that's why it was a, it was a reverse trade happening. That's great. That's fine. And that cleans up Suncor a little bit. And that's healthy for it. I think in the long run, Suncor is going to get dragged up. But remember, their competitor, CNRL, CNQ, is a heavy oil producer. They're also the largest natural gas producer in Canada. Suncor doesn't produce gas. And right now, in the short term, in the winter right now, the play is gas and what's going to happen with the winter. And that's why CNQ gets a little more focused than Suncor right now. And then the, so, so, Raffi, you know, so, so perhaps maybe I should sell my Suncor, take my loss in Suncor, uh, before year end, and perhaps uh, uh, put that money into CNQ. Look, I'm, I'm each client's different. Everybody's different, but at, holistically, I would say the call is long CNRL, and I would not be uh, long Suncor right now. Yeah, very interesting. Would, very interesting. And so, Rafi, I don't know that. No, you you mentioned um, uh, oil um, demand. Uh, again, we're free to the class. Um, we are now, as a global citizen, consuming, I assume, over 100 million barrels of crude oil per day. Uh, is there incremental demand in the forecast? Because, again, my next guest, Jed Dorsheimer, he's speaking now, of course, about the digital revolution and the electric vehicle. And he, he, he sees very dark days for crude oil. Uh, can you speak to that for the next 90 seconds? We're going to go breaking it back to you. Absolutely. The only way the only way this person will have credibility is if they can talk towards the demand growth uh, uh, subsiding in the developing world, the non-OECD world. We focus, everybody talks about how the developed world is not growing demand anymore. And, and yeah, they aren't because they're growing it with natural gas and they're keeping their their appetite for oil remaining very stable. But the developing world is where there's 40% poverty, not 10%. The developing world is where there's no middle class yet. They barely have a scooter, let alone one car, let alone three cars in a luxurious home that you build as a middle class and all the things that suck more oil out of it. Um, All of these things have to develop. There's a billion people in the developing world without electricity even yet. I mean, when when this whole notion that we're going to make the developing world uh, the, uh, um, develop it with this new world um, electricity and power. Well, they'll just all they have to do is look at California and say, well, first of all, we don't have the financial capability to build your expensive um, experiments. Secondly, you guys might complain in the morning about a cold shower because you didn't have power, but we'd wake up in the morning and there'll be millions of people that die if we don't have power. Sorry, we're not going to take that chance. And the naivety of the developed world, that the world, the only world is them, is where we fall short. The developing world is the majority of the population of the world. It's all in Asia and Africa, <laughs> and they don't have what we have. And if they think, if the world thinks that they're just going to sit by and say, you guys got a chance for the last 150 years to develop yourselves into 
uh, society of comfort, and, and you screwed up the, the 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 Earth's atmosphere. If you think that that's the problem, and we're just going to sit by and 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 suffer for it, you're sadly mistaken. That is a naivety he needs to be willing to answer. No, no, the brilliant speak, uh, Rafi Kamazian, uh, Canoe Financial. He's the director, as well. uh, so he runs a big oil fund, a big energy fund. He's very smart, as you can hear and see. Uh, we're going to spend more time with Rappi, and then from that, we're going to jump into the electrification, both sides of, I think, the same coin. It's all about comfort. It's about energy. It's about modernization. Just a question of from Absolutely. what you are beginning from. Uh, Jack Hartle, of course, he's lined up a few tough questions for you there, Rappi, so uh, I, I, I went easy on you. Jack's a little tougher, so when we get back and break, we're here with my buddy Jack Hartle, and uh, more of Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio Network. <laughs> 640 Toronto. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. That's what we all need, my good friends. Especially on a Saturday night, and it's going to get colder. We all need a shelter. And indeed, it's a good time to speak about the homelessness in our great cities and great country. It should not be taking place. Please, my good friends, support the homeless. Support those who don't have shelter. Uh, Rafi Tamazian uh, is on the line. He is in Calgary. He is our oil expert. When we have questions on oil, we always speak with Rafi Tamazian. Um, he's a portfolio manager with Canoe Financial, very, very well seasoned in the energy patch. And as such, when uh, we speak with Rafi, it's not just oil, it's gas, it's uh, anything to do with energy and energy consumption. Just before the break on air, Rafi was speaking about the developed world, how it, those billion people, want what we have. And they are going to be willing to consume oil to get it because it is a very cheap means of energy, has been for a long time, will be for the foreseeable future, I suspect. Um, but the world is changing in the modern world. Again, as we uh, head through the show, we're going to be bringing on Jed Dorsheimer and be speaking about electrification, batteries, battery power, battery transportation, and, of course, the new Porsches, out, uh, electric Porsche. It's a very interesting vehicle. And uh, first mover advantage, all that will be discussed. But, of course, uh, Rafi's going to pipe in with uh, Jed as well and uh, do a little Q&A. So have some very smart men uh, sharing with us some uh, very interesting concepts uh, that, of course, will affect your RRSP and your investment portfolio if you allow it to. And that's what Jack and I are here to do. Uh, Jack Hartle, my good man, uh, please uh, take it over. Uh, run with Rafi a little bit here. Yeah, thanks, Wolf. And thanks, Rafi, for joining us. We always love having you on the show. Um, I just want to bring it back to Canada here a little bit. Uh, you're talking about the, the U.S. shale producers really getting shut in. But um, in the last time we had you on the show, it was U.S. over Canada in terms of production, where you want to put your money. And then I think it was light over uh, heavy oil, which basically favored the uh, the U.S. producers as well. Has that theme switched for you? And, and what do you <laughs> see for the Canadian producers? Yeah, yeah, a good one. I appreciate that you check back like that. That's absolutely right. It's changed. Um, so... It was the fall of last year we became very vocal uh, about the idea that really Canada had run its course. It, it, we, we started to cleanse our basin, the companies, and had to curtail. And I'd been on your show complaining that we were being forced to curtail, really, because of a government. Government was trying to uh, uh, 
stymie the pipeline effort. And that that caused our industry to even to go as far as government having to tell companies they could not produce anymore, even curtail production. That is unprecedented. Well, <clears throat> that what happened is the companies went through this cleanup phase instead of this spending phase. The U.S. was going through a spending phase and getting you know, spending multiples of cash flow, relying on new equity markets, all the usual um, full cycle stuff you would have. The Canada was contracting and cleaning up. And they got to the point where they looked very clean. And we, as we said earlier, we, we thought that OPEC was losing control of the market and they were going to, at some point, flood the market with production. COVID amount, amounted to doing that for them. And so what happened is now the U.S. has to, do the process Canada did for the last four years. They do it very quickly. You can see the capitulation occurred in March. Debt restructuring in Canada happened like it took it took two months, boom. And all the banks had said who the aggressive companies are going to be allowed to be, who is going to have to be pursued and taken out. And, and then the M&A market started in June. And now we're going through this aggressive M&A cycle and you want to make sure you hang on to the buyer. I, I tell everybody, don't get fixated on who's getting taken over. Fixate on who is buying. At the bottom of a cycle, you don't want to buy the seller. You get sold out. You want to buy the buyer at the bottom of a cycle. So buy the things like tourmaline, buy the headwater, buy, buy the you know, Conicos, and all the, all the guys that are buying assets. You want to buy those companies. Because they are building um, strength. Look at see, Canadian Natural bought Painted Pony for cash at the bottom of the cycle. This company's been around for 10 years, 15 years, Painted Pony, working hard. They go up and they went down. And when they were down, instead of getting shares in the new entity, they got cash. They got cashed out. And what did CNRL do? They bought the equivalent of all the gas they would have had to drill this year by just buying it. They didn't have to spend money. They didn't have to deploy equipment, people, headaches, any of that. They just bought it all cheap. Cheaper to buy barrels on a basic business deal. That's interesting. Yep. Buy the buyers right now. At the top of the cycle, buy the sellers so that they're getting you out. Now, Wolfgang said that a number of times, you know, in the markets, you see it time and time again, especially in cyclical industries, uh, as oil is, um, it goes from weak hands to strong hands and then strong hands to weak hands. And like you yes. said, you want, be, you want to be buying the buyers because they're buying these exceptionally strong assets uh, that are very difficult to replace um, for pennies on the dollar is what they're doing. Yeah, you don't have to overanalyze it. Just listen to what the smart people do. I always say the smartest buyer at the bottom of a cycle isn't the people ask me, well, what about funds flow into our sector? I go, don't look, don't look for funds flow yet. Look for what the smartest buyer is doing. And they're like, oh, who's the smartest buyer? I'm like, well, other oil and gas companies. <laughs> they're not, it's not you and me. They're way in front of us in terms of understanding the value. They're the guys on the front line. So listen to what the buyers are doing. And Canadian Natural bought Painted Pony for cash in June. Well, when did you start even hearing about the gas trade as an opportunity? It wasn't until late summer. They telegraphed that opportunity to everybody. Right. And so you, you listen and you do what, what they're smart people, you know? So in Canada, politics has been an ongoing issue without question. So the feds have been very aggressive against uh, the, uh, the oil and gas industry. And now you guys have, 
I guess Jason Kenney, who's your uh, premier in Alberta, who I'd say is probably obviously more favorable than your previous government. Um, how is politics coming into play here? We're talking about Energy East, the Keystone Pipeline, with obviously Biden getting in. Um, we'll see what happens there. So are we able to export our oil at an efficient price? Yeah. Uh, so we don't have Excellent to subsidize question. Another, another great Another great question, because there's a, there's a lot of misunderstanding on that as well. We have 4 million barrels of capacity right now. We have about 3.5 million, roughly, give or take, being used. Once the curtailment's off, with Imperial predominantly getting back, we'll be roughly producing 4 million barrels. Over the next two years, we have a million barrels of capacity being built. There's an expansion on Keystone happening right now that people don't even understand. That's about 100,000 barrels. I don't know exactly the number. You got Line 3, Line 5, and then you got uh, TMX. All four of those combined tweaks and adds and joints will amount to about a million barrels of capacity by the end of 2022. So we don't see that uh, curtailment is an issue. We don't, we don't even see that differentials are an issue. In fact, we see a very favorable situation developing for Canadian heavy oil. Differentials should stay narrow because of this pipeline capacity. Plus, now you've got Mexico talking about effectively force majeure on their heavy oil to global markets. Venezuela is nowhere and collapsing still, and they're a heavy oil market. So the only heavy oil market left, and California heavy oil has gone to, to the crap because of their own regulations. The only real heavy oil left for these refiners who desperately need heavy oil is Alberta. And so we see a, a, a very prospect uh, opportunity, rich pro- opportunity in, in your heavy oil play and I would focus strongly on the clear water uh, as a naturally producing play. You just heard Headwater buying Synovus's play out of that. Um, I would focus on your, your heavy oil, um, oil sands producers like uh, CNQ, and it's augmented by being the largest gas producer. Suncor, to a lesser degree, there's going to be an opportunity there, uh, but I think the, the CNQ um, uh, benefits uh, better from it. Um, and now Synovus definitely saw that opportunity. Think about what Synovus did. They went from a, a levered heavy oil play. They are completely changing their stripes. They are going to become an integrated heavy oil producer. That's a massive change in how a, a shareholder base might think about them, right? So you've got to see a whole changing of the guards there. Watch how they try to, uh, how aggressively they pursue sale of other assets, bringing down their debt. And I would try to catch the bottom on that name as well, because I wouldn't bet against that management team either. Um, Bradley, let's, let's, because you touched on it a lot, um, the, the pipeline business in Canada itself, again, the Trans-Canada, the Enbridge, uh, the, 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 the Pembinas and the like, they're big dividend-paying stocks. They, they matter to a lot of Canadian uh, individuals. A lot of retirees rely on those dividends. Um, uh, how are you feeling about the... Uh, infrastructure, uh, quote-unquote, pipeline utility play? To me, it is uh, a very benign, and uh, I I am so uh, constructive on the consolidation and growth of the producer side. I would would tend to want to be more focused on that side, the, the dividend-yielding type producer as opposed to the midstream or downstream uh, company. 
and and just because I see growth and um, security in that play, whereas I don't I see some security in the pipelines. I just don't see the growth, and and so will. Does that mean you are going to get a shrinking multiple for those? It, there's a risk that you could see the multiple contract on that group because of the headwinds of growth. Whereas the consolidators of production that are happening right now, the, the, the producers that are going to become bigger, like tourmalines of the world, then that, that, that model to me looks more interesting. Um, I would also look, uh, you know, in full disclosure, I'm a director of it. Topaz is a good example of the new world of midstreamer, where they're 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 taking, leaching the assets out of the companies that the market's not giving value to, that and and creating distribution models for them, um, those assets, whether it's a royalty on a production or it's ownership of a facility that has a long-term contract with a, with a good client on the other end, something like that, taking those out of the companies and putting them into a distribution company, giving the money directly back to the, the investor is, is, a, is a far more efficient model than the pipeline midstream companies where they've got to build the product, take the risk on the price of the building it, and then the, the, the contract starts to um, come, turn into profit. I, I just see that there's a bit of a shift there coming. And the bottom line, to answer your question simply, I see risk in the multiples of that group coming down. Yeah, very valid point. Um, we're, Rafi, stay with us. We're going to be speaking about the other side of the oil trade with Jed Dorsheimer. He's been on the show frequently. He, of course, is all about uh, digitization of energy, uh, electrification, of course, of automobiles and uh, taking uh, the infrastructure and even uh, calculating and tabulating uh, data. And, of course, data perhaps is the new oil, frequently spoken on on iFi Radio. Friends, stay tuned. Uh, the show is just about to unfold and get real exciting when Rafi and Jed sort of square off. Jack and I are going to uh, try to keep them under control, but it's a very, very <laughs> exciting time to, to, be, to be living and again, uh, you know, COVID-19 has, uh, well, certainly shut me in and shut Jack in, uh, but we are consuming oil in a roundabout manner. I'm renovating a home, and anything you uh, use around a home, there's an oil derivative play in it as well. Oh, the world is intertwined. Uh, let's go a quick break. Get right back to Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show, my good friends. Our next guest off air was blinding me with some science. His name is Jed Dorsheimer. He's been frequently on Hi-Fi Radio. We recycle through the finest brains and individuals that we can find. And uh, Jed, uh, it really is a pleasure to have you back on air. We kept Rafi Tamazian on air as well, because the two of you are really speaking uh, about the same topic, and that is energy consumption and how the world historically, and I'm speaking about over hundreds of years, has consumed more energy, albeit in different forms, um, uh, as time goes on. As a matter of fact, I'm going old school here in my new backyard. I went legally purchased myself a grill 
so I can grill food. And I got myself a little fire pit, and I can't wait to burn a little cherry and put my grill over it so the fire department's illegal. But yeah, energy. I love fire, right? Fire is good energy. Uh, but we need it to sustain life. You need it to stay warm and, uh, and, and run our machines, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Jet Dorsheimer, please give us a quick intro on who you are for the audience because it's such a colorful, uh, complex background. And it, it's amazing. You know, where you're coming from is, is really what your future is all about, how you're forming your thoughts and coming up with your theses around energy and then wrap it. I want you to pipe in stuff your theories around energy consumption, please. You bet. So um yeah, so uh thanks for having me back. Uh you know, always happy to uh to join and uh chime in. I think um you know who I am. Uh really uh, I <clears throat> you know I'm just somebody that uh does adhere to a scientific framework, um, believes in certain laws of uh physics, in particular the laws of thermodynamics, and believes that we as a world need to come back to um a center, um uh ideologically speaking, where we can uh look at things in a rational way and use science to guide us. Um and in particular, my role at Canaccord, I run the sustainability and ESG platform um, for the uh, firm in the U.S. Um, and, you know, have a vast experience on both Wall Street uh, writing policy and government as well as uh, running an organization. Um, and along that path, I've learned a lot that hopefully I can help our clients uh, better understand, um, avoid the, as we like to call it, the green uh, washing. Um, and try and find, you know, what is uh, reasonable and logical uh, solutions to our energy needs. And I do think that energy is really at the center of um, where the discussion should uh, should begin and, frankly, end. Yeah, no, and agreed. And, and Rafi, I want you to come, you know, come right into it about how the developed world has an insatiable appetite uh, for energy. Yeah, and it's a different kind of energy. And, and I just want to point out that, you know, a lot of people would pit what Jed's um, business and what he does and mine against each other. And I think these two, these two parts of the business, and let's call it conventional energy and alternative energy, anybody with a grain of in- intelligence in that area would quickly realize that they're, they're, that they're, they're both going to come to the same middle ground. I mean, Jed was talking before the show a bit about his philosophy and thinking, and he, he and I think exactly the same way. Um, the, the, the bottom line is there is, an, there is an addiction and an insane appetite for oil, and, and we need to figure out ways based on the desires of certain people and messages that are getting out to the world that we want to reduce our fossil fuels. And we have to try to find a way how to balance that all while uh, managing and, and, and dealing with the misinformation out there. And, um, you know, ultimately, you know, the, the developed world is one type of demand for oil, but the undeveloped world is another type of demand for oil. Our demand for oil is to continue to extend our the, the manner in which we live, which is very good. The developing world, the demand for oil is survival. And, and, and it's a matter of life and death. And the other solutions don't carry that. And, and Jed, in, in off, off air, you mentioned nuclear. 
that I agree with that. Nuclear is the unsung hero. The, the focus is on wind and solar, and they, they they might have I don't know. You probably know better than I do, Jed. The capacity, the the, the utilization might be twenty percent of all the global energy needed from those areas, but they only contribute one point eight percent. Why? Because they're they're inefficient. Nuclear is far more efficient, far cheaper. It's it's this fear we have about the dangers around it. But if you want to get off fossil fuels and you you have to address the undeveloped world, and how are you going to do it to the scope and capacity they need? It's nuclear. Mm-hmm. Uh, chemicals are stocked. That uh, and uh, Jed, I assume you're familiar with the chemical stock, Canadian uh, global leader uranium producer. Um, uh, Rafi, is that in your fund? And, and, and Jed, can you speak to chemical perhaps as well? If not, that's fine as well. No, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not familiar as well to, uh, it's Jed, to, to provide an informed discussion. I mean, I, I, um, Rafi, did you want to comment? I, I, I wouldn't be able to either. It, it's Nuclear is an area we, we want to, in, like, we look at it, it as a subsector, alternative alternative fuels. And right now, the only place we're focused on on alternative fuels and energy technology today is in energy storage, bulk storage. That's it. That is a nut that needs to be cracked. Well, that's funny because that's exactly what Jed does. Jed's into, into storage of energy, battery power. Look, guys, we're going to go to commercial break. I want to continue this fantastic in-depth discussion around energy because energy, well, it certainly once was about 20% of the TSX index. Uh, of course, Things have changed, and they may come right back to where they once was. The market, of course, is a circle. Uh, Hi-Fi Radio is the show. It's a show about money. WolfgangKlein.com, your one-stop shop for all of your finance needs. Any questions, you check us out. Uh, Otherwise, stay tuned. More show right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. That sounds like a money song to me, and that's what the show is all about, money. It's Hi-Fi Radio. I am a portfolio manager, Wolfgang Klein, my partner, portfolio manager as well, Jack Hartle. Two brilliant guests on the show this evening, Rafi Tanazian, Jed Dorsheimer. Both are energy-thinking individuals, just one focuses on more traditional, and the other, of course, the new form of energy, uh, but it's still, I guess, jewels, isn't that we're all consuming lots of jewels. Um, you know, during COVID, uh, I dare not have a conversation with anyone about oil or gas or uranium. It was all about CrowdStrike. It was about Zoom. It was about DocuSign. It was about those software companies, the tech stocks. Yes, that's what we need. We need tech stocks. And so, so many sectors, specifically the materials group, was almost left for dead, but then it turned, and it turned incredibly so. Uh, so let's open this up, and we'll start with you, Jed. Please speak to that concept of people can be so short-sighted sometimes. Well, I think if we want to look at the root, uh, I, listen, I am a big fan of root cause analysis. I think for too long, we tend to solve, uh, we focus on symptoms and not the root issue. So if you look at the root issue of what the problems are, it goes back to our neoclassical economic system, which looks at the productive function of labor and capital as our uh, inputs, 
and treats energy is 5 to 6% because that's what it was in terms of GDP. And when you looked at the framework that was created by social scientists, I'd point out, so a lack of adherence in inviolate of uh, thermodynamic physics, um, it, a, I would say that labor without energy is a corpse. Capital without energy is a uh, sculpture. And yeah. so we need to start looking through the lens of energy. That's why I use a term energy return on energy invested when I'm looking at source technologies so we can understand scaling mechanisms where if you look, because these are things that adhere in the natural environment all the time. Why does a tree drop a leaf? Because there's no extra atom for that leaf to actually do any uh, uh, have any exergy, productive work, to give to that tree, so it drops it. Yet humans tend to look at different technologies, and, and we tend to give dollars, I'd say ethanol, for example. There is absolutely no energetic or financial reason that there should be a dollar put towards that technology, which actually destroys capital and value in our system. So looking at these on not on what's right, what's wrong, but where does it land on the spectrum? What's good in this situation? What are the the costs? What are the benefits to that? That's how that's how I'm framing the uh, the discussion and coverage. Rafi, over to you on that one. <laughs> See, he opened a very philosophical conversation that could go. We could talk on for hours about this. Okay, I, I'm going to pipe in. He I, sounds like Dowdy to me. Well, I, nature, I agree with I, him I, completely. I, I, I right into it. I was in Barcelona. I saw yeah, Dowdy. So, Dowdy based everything on so nature. He, this is a, this is about um, you know what is the the push, someone's initiative, someone's movement, someone's desire, and how they move that and how we move information and how we treat what is real information and what is fake information and bad data to push your initiative. It's so easy to get misled today. And, and, and like I said earlier, anybody with a grain of salt of intelligence in this, in this area of energy, global energy, all energy, there is no energy that is free. That doesn't exist. When people call, use the word green, and associate energy. What is people's interpretation of that? Does that mean it, it's that's ESG friendly? How about the word ESG? The people there, there are funds that are created called ESG funds. Well, that makes it sound like ESG is a noun. ESG is not a noun. It's a verb. It's an action. There's a mis. We're being people are being misled, and they've got to start to listen to. People have to start saying when they hear something. Am I, am I listening to an intellect? Am I listening to a person who is unbiased or a person who has a best interest in mind? The ESG, I just want to help out the audience. That, again, has been a new acronym that Jack and I have been picking up on on Bay and Wall Street for the last couple of years. And it stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. Uh, and it's basically, you get used the word greenwashing. Jack, speak to both of that, your, your, your ESG involvement and, and what you mean by greenwashing. Well, so ESG, just to be specific, is an initiative that the United Nations PRI, Principles for Responsible Investing, have determined that there's a set of criteria that needs to be met and is scoring uh, across environmental, social, and governance. Now, I would say we, we have an upcoming podcast with Florian Berg, uh, a co-author of a, pa a seminal paper out of MIT Sloan, 
that talks about the divergence of scoring across and, and some of the, the problems with, uh, with ESG as it is right now. I think underlying the in, intentionally, you can really boil down um, the 19 different uh, metrics that the UN wants to solve to to about three. And if you start looking at that, I think intentionally, I, I, I generally agree. Now, w- with, with directionally where that is going. Um, in terms of greenwashing, I think there's a, you know, there's the idea of what is actually in the best, what is sustainable, um, and we can unpack that word uh, a bit in terms of the investing, and then what is simply just painting something um, or greenwashing. Um, a good example would be ethanol, as I mentioned. Corn-based ethanol is a fuel additive. Um, that has no environmental benefit. In fact, you're destroying and contributing um, to the, if CO2 is determined as the problem from a carbonization perspective, you're actually adding more carbon uh, in that process and really just subsidizing farmers in the U.S. Yep. Again, I, I think it's just important to always ask yourself when it comes to that one statement right now, are you trying to treat it as a physical, tangible thing? And ESG is about how you act, not what you do. And so is, are you compliant on, on your, on your, I mean, I sit on a half a dozen boards now and I agree we are now, we just did an IPO on one of them. And in that IPO to list the, the, the exchange has certain, they want to know, the regulator wants to know, are you compliant on these actions for you to uh, apply for your status as a as a listed public company? And I think that's all healthy. It includes things like inclusion um, and, and proper, um, you know, male-female ratios on a board. Have you, they're, they're forcing things, actions that they want to happen to change the direction. It, but you can't physically invest in ESG. And so these, we got to be careful what people think they're getting when they, when they hear those words. The world, we're shifting the world to a better place under the guidelines of those of some of that stuff, and we're going to make it all better. But it's not a thing, and that's what I think we got to get over. Uh, you're you're an amazing member uh, on the Canaccord team, and I, I also dovetail you into the Wolf on Bay Street team. Jack Hartle, uh, great job lining up the guests today. Well, my good friends, that's the show for the week. Hi-Fi Radio. Gang Klein, any questions, WolfgangKlein.com. It's a pleasure to spend some time with you each and every Saturday night here on AM 640. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto.